Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! Well, welcome, 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 everybody. It's getting towards the end of October. In fact, it's October 23rd, 2010. Welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in Area 51, carefully raking the sand garden uh, in uh, the underground bunker. I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight from the Alston Brighton Hellmouth, our technical wizard and uh, abbreviated Doug Jones hugger, Kriana. I know! <laughs> <laughs> from the Four Color Vault of Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Alice Cooper Body Double, Illustrator X. As Bob Geldof said, there's nothing more useless than a car that won't start. But it's even more useless at the end of the world. And the reanimated princess <laughs> of the dam, the dead redhead. Good evening, everyone. From Outpost Gallifrey in Indiana, our crop circle investigator and the guy who does every RPG game known to man, Awake by Java. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I roll a mean D20. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't? <laughs> our guest tonight, actually we have two of them. Uh, our main guest is author Aaron Wilson, contribute, contributing author to the Last Man Anthology, and also our special guest from Brown Coats Redemption, Andrew Mardick. Hello. Hey, there's Hello. Andrew now. Andrew, how are you, buddy? I'm hanging in. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. Listen, we wanted to bring you in to talk very quickly about sales for Brown Coats Redemption, how things are going, what all we can do to help, yada, yada, yada. Give us the 411. Pretty much right now, uh, we've sold about 1,500 DVDs, so very excited about that. It's only been, we'll say, what, about a month and uh, three weeks? So we could always do a little bit better, though. So we're hoping uh, to see a big push, hope, uh, pending um, a couple positive reviews of, uh, of people if they throw them up either on their blogs or uh, preferably FireflyFans.net, anywhere that a lot of Firefly fans will go and check it out. We're also looking to see if... Um, uh, people wanted to put it on uh, their reviews on imdb.com, which is a very big, uh, it's the internet movie database. So probably every film that's ever been done um, has at least some small presence there. So that's what we're doing. And there's some bald headed curmudgeon who wrote an interview on internet movie database uh, for you guys. Wonder who the hell that was. I wonder. Some bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, yeah. So but things are moving along swimmingly. Sales are brisk, but could be better. Guys, there is no better way to spend your hard-earned bucks than to go out and spend some money for charity. And not only are you, is all the money from this going to the charity, but you get a damn good movie at the same time. And now wait, we, there, it gets even better because don't we have a promotion code? We do. Do you remember what it is? I don't. I know. <laughs> By the way, Doug Jones, while Dome is looking up the promotion code, I miss you. 
There's actually, a, there's a really tall hole in my life that that was torn out when when you left it. Um, please come back to Boston. When you go to browncoatsmovie.com, if you type in the discount code SFSN2010, you get a discount just for listening to us. Which does not reduce your charitable contribution, as I was notified by Michael Doherty. Absolutely not, which is the cool part. Yeah, so there's no reason not to. I can think of anyway. Well, uh, not, none that I can think of either, can quite frankly. Can we give frank. a little spoiler? Go sure, go ahead. Adam Baldwin has a cameo, guys. Oh my god, yes. <gasps> Thank you for the squeeze, but Adam Baldwin's cameo is frankly one of the coolest there because when it hits, you just kind of go, are you kidding me? I know. <laughs> 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 Might I say too? Um, I was actually lucky enough to uh, to meet up with a couple with a couple of the gang from Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Um, was it this past weekend? Yeah. Yes, it was at um, at uh, New England Comic Con, and they they let me get face molested by Doug Jones, but I loved every second of it. By the way, there's a picture of that on our website. Where is it? It's on in the image, image gallery. galleries, and then there's a page for Wizard World. They just went up this afternoon. Oh, thank goodness. And Rock and Shock. And Rock and Shock. That's true. You know, which brings us to our... Uh, Wizard World. How awesome is Wizard World now that we're not, like, wicked tired? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let, let's just take a moment, take a moment, and be like, Wizard World. <laughs> it was Wizardific. It was oh, wizardtastic. Yeah, it was. Um, where did we have the most fun besides Doug Jones? Um, everywhere. There were artists. There were toys. You know, I think that um, the buttons and the pins and the and the patches maybe aren't as popular as they used to be, because this is the first time I've seen buttons and pins and patches vendors what is, it, it's, is Tom Baker op emptying his pockets over there? <laughs> I'm not sure what the hell's going on but it certainly is an interesting noise. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there, there are lots of diverse vendors. There were authors, artists, videos, DVDs of Asian films. Yay. Lots of those. Lots Yay. and lots of those. There were Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. There was a Job of the Hut. There, there was mayhem. I got to show. Oh, you know who was there? There was a Cookie Monster. There was a Cookie Monster. There was a Cookie Monster, but there was a Gorn there. A real Gorn. A real Gorn. The guy who yeah. played the, the Gorn. Gorn. The real Gorn. Not just a Gorn. <laughs> the Gorn. Yeah, really. Yeah. Not just a. Not one of your cheap Walmart mock-offs. Let me tell you, I mean, we got to see some really, really cool people and got to meet some really, really cool people, not to mention the coolest of which was the guy who runs Wizard World, Garib Seamus. Wow, that was really transparent. Thank you. I know. <laughs> I, I love how Doug Jones can just agree with me no matter what I say. I know. <laughs> it's so awesome. I know. <laughs> hey, Kriana. Yes. Why don't we play the uh, Garib Shamus interview? I know. Sure. <laughs>
you want to announce who we're talking to and stuff? We're talking with Garib Sheamus, owner, director, and mentor of Wizard World. Pleasure to have you with us again. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. How's it feel to be back in Boston? Oh, I love Boston. It's so great to be back here. Um, my dad actually grew up in Worcester, and uh, my brother went to school at BU. So, you know, I love this town. I've been up here quite a number of times. I've been to the city, and uh, it's really great. I mean, we want to be everywhere all throughout North America with our shows. And um, we want to be everywhere throughout North America with our, with our Wizard World Comic Con. So, you know, there's no greater place to be up here in Boston, you know, to meet our fans. We've been, uh, we've been, we've had fans up here for 20 years, you know, through the magazine and online. So it's always great to come back here and see our fans and, and really give them a great show. You had a great turnout here so far. Oh, yeah. The, the place has been exploding. And not only with Obama people, but, uh, but yeah. I think there's the Obama people trickling in. Too. A million of people wearing uh, Obama and, and the Bob Patrick shirts kind of peering in going, who are these people? Right, yeah, so we've had a tremendous crowd here um, for, for being back in Boston. And then also, like, even our gaming crowd, you know, we've had record people playing Magic here for the gaming tournaments that we've had, and the Buffy Fest has worked out incredibly well. You know, people are so happy to meet all the Buffy stars. I was just talking to um, James Marster, getting into a whole bunch of political conversations, uh -oh. too, so it was fun, though. Uh oh, I watched that one. Right. So, what's been the most exciting part of the round so far? Has it been the whole dealing with the Obama thing, or has there been? Um, no, for me, it's been a, a couple things. One is I, I love seeing the costumes, you know, coming out here. There's nothing, you know, it's so great to see how people, you know, come dressed up and they want to be part of the experience of the show. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing was uh, the celebrities. You know, we have Lee Majors here, who's, uh, you know, who's a big favorite of mine. Adam West and Burt Ward, of course. Adam West was amazing. Yeah, yeah we had fun really talking was. to him. Yeah, he's such an extraordinary guy. and He's out here on tour with us, you know, traveling the country, and it's great to have him. And then also John Schneider, he's just a, an amazing guy with not only Pizza Hazard and Smallville. And then, um, and then, of course, the whole Buffy Fest that we have here. You know, just being able to get so many of the Buffy stars together in one place um, really creates a great experience for people that have been Buffy fans for a long time. It's you the know. kind of experience they're not going to get any place else. Absolutely. And really being able to provide, whether it's the photo opportunities and the autograph opportunities and to take multiple photographs with people and to hear the panels. I mean, they really got a great experience, and we were just so happy to be able to provide that. The great thing for us has been that I've watched the interaction between the stars and, and the crowds, and they're just relaxed and, and talking and interacting with everyone. And when people aren't coming through the lines, they're leaning over, looking. Yeah, the format's a little different than you generally you know, see. In the rows, and the people are coming in from the rows on the side and peeking in and waving at them. It's yeah. really neat. You know, we we, uh, we work with a lot of celebrities, and for us, we, we like to work with the ones that love to be here. You know, the ones that love their fans and love to be a part of this experience are typically the ones that do very well, and there's a reason why they became superstars to begin with. Um, and then for us, too, you know, a big part of the experience is to make the celebrities very accessible. You know, for a long time, you know, People have enjoyed them and their works, and you know to be able to come out and meet them and to feel like they're very approachable, you know, is a very, it's a, it's a very cool experience. You know, it's a very emotional experience for people. You know, because here they've they've been a fan of their works for so long, that now they can come out and meet them, 
it's really very exciting and, and to create the right environment for it rather than just a very either sterile or cold. You know, we want it to be warm and cool. It's been a very good environment. Was it a conscious choice to have the autograph kind of in the center of everything and visible? Or was that a limitation of the space? Uh, no, what we wanted to do with the uh, with the autograph, first of all, we made it so that you can look in. So we didn't make it so that so people are behind a curtain where you can't see. But we did want to create an environment that Okay. We did want to create an environment that when you're in there, you can see all the celebrities together. So, but uh, but at all times, you know, you can see every celebrity that's in there. Yeah. You know, so we just needed a way to make it so that when you're in there, you can get to meet everybody and have your time with them. It just feels private when you're in there, but when you're outside, you can still be like, oh, look who's there. Exactly. So, so it, you know, we went through a lot of different configurations on how to create that. You know, where. They're very accessible looking. They're right there. They're right in front of you. You know, yeah. they're they're right there. We said they were going to be here, right. and here they are. <laughs> you can see them from wherever you are, but yet when you do meet them, you feel like you're in this kind of more intimate setting, and uh, you know we think that worked out really well. From a logistical point of view, you set up a number of packages this, uh, for this con, and I guess for this round of cons where uh, you had the Buffy package, and then you had the Buffy and the Gilmer package, and then you. How, how did that work out for, for you from a logistical point of view? It works out great because everybody wants, not everybody, but, but people want different experiences, you know, through the event. And some people might want to come and just meet James Marsters, some people might want to come and meet everybody, some might want to meet, um, you know, the, the women of Buffy, I mean, whatever. So we try to tailor packages to people that we know that they might like or want or might want more of something um, because they get it so popular. You know, we want to make sure that people that come here get what they want, you know, out of the experience. So we try to create real packages that get people. No, it's so important. There we go. Okay, all right. Um, so for a lot of people, this is the first time coming to the show, and you don't want them to be surprised. You don't want them to come here and say, oh, I didn't know this is the way it worked, or I didn't know this is what it costs, or I didn't know this is the way what I got to do. Um, you know, very little of that. Yeah, very little. yeah. We want to make sure we put everything up on the website, so there's there's no shocks or surprises, and and really make it easy for people to come out and and really come here, enjoy the show, and know what they're going to get when they come in. But when they do get here, there's all, there's so much more. It's always comes to life, and I think we we allow people, you know, to come here and and just be a part of it and have a great time. I want to thank you for inviting us here okay. and, and thank you for a wonderful event. Yeah, All right, thank you so much. You. Uh, thanks for seeing you guys. I really appreciate it. And that was Garib Seamus, uh, the the man behind Wizard World. Who, the guy. The guy. The guy. That's <laughs> basically G what we're talking about. Capital G, the guy. He was awesome. He was really good to us. Absolutely. I want to just take a minute to thank uh, Doug Jones, Mark Metcalf, Amber Benson, Claire Kramer, Mercedes McNabb, Garib Seamus, Bobby Clark, uh, and everybody else, all the uh, uh, artists, uh, Amber Sarah Benson, Richard. Chris Golden, Luciana Caro, et cetera. The wonderful people that we met while we were there who uh, just went out of their way to make us feel good and, and did a terrific job with us. And boy, did we find more cool stuff to have on the show. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, you know who else I want to say thanks to? I want to th say thanks to Another Heaven, a uh, source for international cinema. I and know. 
<laughs> and let them know uh, they're in Lansing, Illinois, and uh, they're one of our new show sponsors. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. So speaking of... You know, you know who I want to thank? Hang on. I, I've got to thank Jetpack Comics. Oh, yeah. Having you know what? Their awesome sale. You're right. They did have one hell of a sale. Their shocker sale. <laughs> Complete with pictures. And, Complete, I, and I also yes. was luckily able to pick up all the True Blood comics, and I'm kind of drooling over them right now. Yay. Yeah. Well, there's some stuff I bought there that I'm kind of drooling over as well. Is it Ms. Marvel? It is. No, it was the... Uh, <laughs> I had all the Ms. Marvels, as you recall. Oh, right. It's She-Hulk? It was the She-Hulks. Thank you very much. And who found that for you? I believe it was you. Yes, I did. So, I X. Yeah. X, Dead Redhead. Talk to us about Rock and Chalk that was going on at the same time. Well, we did uh, actually get to st see a little bit of Wizard World New England before we had to split to try to cover as many cons for our listeners as possible. But before sure, we go into that... that is the reason it had nothing to do with Rob Zombie. Uh, no, I can guarantee you it did not. But uh, more to the before we even get into that, um, we do want to just take a moment and say uh, to the dead redhead, happy anniversary for a wonderful eleven years. I love you very much. Aww. Happy anniversary, X. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Kriana. What does Doug Jones have to say about that? I know. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Cheers! Yay! So, Ladies yeah, I and want gentlemen, have a drink on <laughs> behalf of Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead, because we right. are. Guys, here's my present to you. Holodeck three program is ready. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to go in to see what it is. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to do like a mini Perez Hilton or something. Um, just to say some of the, it was interesting, we couldn't see some of the Buffy people because of the way they were stationed. You guys got to meet the Buffy people we didn't get to. Um, I did notice, though, and I, uh, X is going to be sick of me saying this, uh, John um, Schneider. Schneider. John, John Schneider, who used to be on the Dukes of Hazard, and he was on Smallville playing uh, Superman's Kent. dad there, Jonathan Kent. Uh, by the way, this man looks amazing for his age. Yeah, actually, he did. You're right. Oh, my God. He looks good. Just getting that out there. Um, but then we went down to the Rock and Shock. We had a lot of fun down at the Rock and Shock. Whoa, dead redhead. We're losing you. It's a small section, and you can walk up and say hello to people. Um, George Romero must have had 500 people in line to talk to him. Dead redhead? Are you there? What? I can't hear you really. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. There you go. Much better. Oh, I apologize. I'm sorry, guys. Um, George Romero must have had 500 people in line to talk to him. I did run up with my official I Was a Zombie in Day of the Dead hat and did a tip of the hat to George from Pittsburgh. Um, we got to meet Adrian Barbeau, who was once again amazingly nice. D. Wallace Stone, who people might remember as the mom from E.T., the mom from Cujo. Um, uh, basically everybody's mom. Yeah, she's everybody's mom, but <laughs> well, she's really nice. She's the one who gets attacked by Robert Picardo in The Howling. That's right. That's right. And in the, 
If you watch the DVD with the extra, she talks about how he actually scared the crap out of her, which is kind of funny if you look at Robert Picardo. But... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like one of the least scary men I have ever seen. Exactly. He's right up there with Doug Jones. <laughs> well, and yet, both of them have played very creepy characters. Like Doug Jones, we got to meet Julian Sands, who our listeners might know from The Warlock. Warlock. And he was so nice. He also is extremely tall. Not as quite as tall as Doug Jones, but very tall. Very easy to talk to. Um, we talked to Meg Foster. Yes. Who was Eva Lynn. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. From the <laughs> movie. And, uh, and, uh, and she was in never gets a- Yeah, well, who wasn't? Uh, <laughs> And uh, Danny, Danny Trejo, Trejo, who had the second biggest line next to George Romero's, was Danny Trejo, who was just in Machete, which is now on DVD. And yes, I'll be buying my copy as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Um, Alex Winter, who was Bill from Bill, Bill and Ted. Ted's Excellent Adventure. And one of the Lost Boys. He was the Lost Boy, that's right. And um, it was just running around mayhem, meeting all these people. It was very cool. What's nice about that con is that they always combine it with concerts. And this year, they combined meeting all these celebrities with a Alice Cooper Rob Zombie concert. And I got to say, Rob Zombie, we know you're a fan. We know you're listening. Two things. <laughs> One, video screens are no substitute for talent. But they're very cool. And... <laughs> Dude, nobody goes on after Alice Cooper. I don't know what you were thinking, <laughs> but you asked for it. Alice kicked some ass that night, I got to say. You know, Alice is in his 60s now, but you would not know it. He put on a hell of a show. Mm. Wait, Alice is a dude? Oh, come on, Kriana. <laughs> what? How am I supposed to know all this rock shock stuff? Jesus, uh, come on, Marilyn dear. <laughs> we're children of the '80s. We yeah. we know we know who these people are. Yeah. Actually, Alice is from the '70s, and you know that stuff sounds just as fresh now as it did then. Oh, you know, I don't know if I would use the word fresh, but this <laughs> isn't a podcast. <laughs> you know what? It, 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 chopping your own head off on stage never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> it impresses me every time. And hanging your girlfriend. He hung that. Oh, that yes. Picture. Yes, that was, yes. Spousal abuse was also fun to watch. <laughs> the old Cleavon Little, they said he was hung and they were right. Anyway. <laughs> it was very apocalyptic. And speaking of the apocalypse. <laughs> wow. Nice segue there. How you like that one? <laughs> All right. At this point, one. let's bring in our, our main guest of the night, Aaron Wilson. Aaron, hi. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Aaron Wilson I'm glad, is a... Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say that I'm glad to be on the show with you. <laughs> Aaron Wilson is a contributing author to the Last Man Anthology, an anthology of the apocalypse based on The Last Man by Mary Shelley. Or rather inspired by. Inspired, Which, by. inspired by. Now... Now, those listeners um, who remember our interview with the editor, Hunter Lagore, back in, it was April, right? Fan favorite, Hunter Lagore. That's Fan right. favorite. Yeah, we did get a lot of good email and, and response on that, but she Absolutely. did say, I've got this anthology coming out, and when it hits, I want you to review it on the air in this. So, guess what, everybody? <laughs> True to her word, <laughs> True to her word, that woman. 
Uh, but Aaron, what can you tell us about the Last Man Anthology? Um, well, it, the Last Man Anthology uh, it really is a uh, a work that uh, Hunter put a lot of effort into collecting stories that uh, talk about really the end of something or the last of something. Uh, a couple of the stories in there, we have the last little girl on a street and her teddy bear, uh, the last librarian, and, okay, and that, uh, uh, many, many others, uh, including, including my story, uh, which happens to be the last bookstore. Um, and um, the paperless doctrine is uh, 2152. Although when I think about 2152, I think that uh, that might be optimistic that a bookstore will last that long. (laughs) I hear you. Let's hope not. So, considering the the troubles that uh, both of the really big box retailers have, uh, both Barnes & Noble's and uh, Borders, you know, uh, if you follow the news with them, you know, I, I just don't know how much longer the bookstores are going to last. Uh. Aaron, how, how did you get involved in this anthology? Well, uh, 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 well, this year I, I really tried to make an effort uh, with my fiction, which I hadn't uh, really been trying to get my fiction out into the world. So I was really just uh, trolling around and uh, looking for deadlines to fulfill. Uh, as motivation, and I came across the the listing for the Last Man Anthology when the Sword and Saga website was the Last Man Anthology website, and uh, uh, the, really the listing wanted the last of something, and I happened to have a story that I'd written about the last bookstore uh, that was uh, based on an article I saw in the Washington Post uh, back in 2006. Uh, about about uh, Vinton Cerf, uh, who was uh, the, one of the founding fathers of the Internet, talk about uh, wanting to help Google digitize uh, everything that's been printed. Yes. Awesome. I heard about that, yes. Yes. Uh, everything searchable. Yay. Well... Uh, you know, maybe not just uh, everything searchable, but uh, you know, as I try to suggest in in, in my in my story, that uh, not only is it searchable, but you can use uh, suggestive ad technology to try to make money on everything people find on the internet, including works of fiction. Yay! Hmm. I gotta say, it it reminds me of when I was. Um, at the Small Press Expo about 10 or 12 years ago, and even back in the late 90s, people were talking about comic books uh, being, as far as a pamphlet and even graphic novels, being a dinosaur now with the advent of the Internet because everything can be put on screens. And they actually thought uh, the big buzz at that show was that it was going to be a return to almost hieroglyphics where it's just one giant scroll that you just keep scrolling on a screen over and over instead of individual images. Yeah, but the beauty of this is is that it's typical Luddite philosophy in that, you know, uh, uh, film was the death of Broadway plays and TV was the death of film and, you know, and on and the on and on. The internet is the end of 
everything. Evidently, yes, the internet is <laughs> yes. not against everything. Hey, guess and, what? MP3 players well, killed radio. Oh, wait. No. <laughs> wait, wait, well, no, no. Well, as long as it just kills... Uh, oh. The new innovation kills business plans. That's that's you know granted. New innovation will always kill previous business plans. That's that's all it kills. That's why there's an uproar because people yeah. haven't learned how to make money on it. But I think and and I haven't read. I just started reading Aaron's story and I apologize before you know I cut off and it's engaging enough that I actually want to sit down and give it time. Um, oh, but well, the idea, you. huh? I'm sorry. Oh, I just I said thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the idea of the last bookstore in the world in in a world where everything is paperless by you know executive order is is a really interesting one, and I can see you know the thought process that brought you there. What were the biggest challenges with dealing with that issue? Oh, it's a. Uh well, uh, you know, uh, uh, like like you said uh, already, that uh, you know the uh, new emerging technologies don't necessarily push out the old ones. Most of the time, they complement them. Uh, like right now, it's just figuring out how to use them, uh, basically in conjunction with uh, the older technologies. Some people will like one, some people will like the other. So, it, so I really didn't think that bookstores would disappear, but I wanted them to in my story, so I needed uh, an extra law to try to get that try to get that through. And then the idea would really had to come from for the law is, well, where would that idea come from? And then uh, you know, possibly that taking things out of paper is bad for the environment. So you know, trying to do good for the environment, we pass a law that no more books can be made. And then, you know, having that actual artifact around of a book reminds us of what we've lost. So what we really need to do is get rid of the artifact uh, so that we can move forward. Um, and, and that's always difficult. So, uh, so that's kind of where I went with that, I think. You know, the, the interesting thing about the anthology, to me, uh, was that every single story dealt with the end of something. And it was kind of... Is that the interesting thing about the anthology? That's the premise of the anthology. No, 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 no. <laughs> wow. Thank, thank you, Madam Smartass. Well, I, I just have to point that out. Yeah, well, you know what? Next time you need to point out the obvious, look out the window. Oh. But the reality is... You can't even disconnect There's so many different not... ways to go about it. There are so many different attacks. And there, there are a couple that are similar... But even the ones that are similar are, are miles apart. And I was just amazed at how many different... When you say, you know, the last man in the world sat alone in a room, how many different ways it goes from that point? No spoilers. Well, I think what, well, I, I think what was really interesting in the introduction by uh, Michael Drought was uh, the, this, this quote here was that uh, humans may have evolved to be unable to imagine their own non-existence. So instead of being able to imagine our own non-existence, we end up uh, imagining the, the end of other things because we just can't, can't come to terms with there being no viewer consciousness to recognize uh, experience. Wow. 
See, I disagree. I think it came about because people just got caught in traffic and didn't like it. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, that could be. I know. I've been standing in the middle of New York City going, yeah, all right, there's everybody get out of the way. No, just leave. This is why I like Godzilla movies. The buildings come down. Okay, and the let's hope the FBI isn't listening. The philosophical uh, you know, conundrum there is that Human beings are, are I, I, I think, unable to conceive of a place where there is no human viewer. I don't think that that's something that we're capable of because, you know, of, let me throw out some words, postmodernism, uh, objectivity, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is enough to make <laughs> even, even a, you know, a liberal, liberal, liberal arts major fall asleep, but it is a really interesting question, and I think that the the few of the stories that I've actually read of the anthology, and I'm excited to read it, and it's going to push out my uh, current reading of um, the the Song of Ice and Fire, um, <clears throat> is enough to to keep me fixated because the different ways that authors and poets, because I read Sarah Teasdale's poem Helen of Troy, um, dealt with that question is really interesting. There was that one yeah. story in there, uh, Jip by Mark Taylor, which yeah. in which there was no humanity whatsoever anymore. <sighs> and uh, okay. I found that one really, really interesting. Okay, so so the whole point of doing this is that um, that Illustrator X, Dome, and I got to pick our favorite story. And what did they get since we picked our favorite stories? They get a copy of... The Last Man by Mary Shelley. Oh, I think that's really special. Oh. So, so I think now's a really good time to talk about the stories that were the most special to us. Fair enough. Who wants to go first? Go ahead, X. You're up. I'm up? Uh, well, first of all, I want to just work my way up here because I had a few choices. Uh, I do have a favorite. Uh, but one thing I want to point out is in this anthology, um, you also have poetry. And for the most part, um, I, the poems were decent, but there was one that just blew me away. And it was by, I believe this is the one by an eight-year-old girl. It's called The Last of Everything by Cassandra so Cecilio. Cool. Oh. I mean, I, I'm just going to read it right now. I am the last crumb of food. I am the last tissue to blow in. I am the last fresh breath of air. I am the last drop of water. I am the last man standing. Goodbye, Earth. Goodbye, me. Ugh. And it's handwritten, and you can just, I don't know, it just, its it has a sincerity to it that only a child would have. I know! <laughs> <laughs> we needed that, actually. Yeah. I know. All right. I was going to say that was a little Sylvia Plath there. Yeah, but... <laughs> it was kind of no, Sylvia was, Plath was, until really... you realized that it was an eight-year-old who wrote it. And yeah. then you just kind of go, whoa, what the hell? That was um, really cool. Yeah, that's an eight-year-old that maybe needs some antidepressants. No, that's not really, at all. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, let's see. Third place, I would say, goes to Last of the Great Coffee Shop Philosophers by Kuos Combius. I hope I pronounced that right. That was a great story about uh, the last man in a world where humanity itself is a dying gene trait. Uh, I was just like, wow, that's a great idea. 
So uh, the last great coffee shop would be Dunkin' Donuts, right, X? Well, of course. Why do you think people turn into mutants? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. My money was on Starbucks. Uh, oh, so was his. That's why I had to say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of the stories that I read that I had a chance to read today. And that is a great story. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a speech being delivered by one of these last of the, you know, the unaltered human beings. Mm. And he, just the, the way that it, it, he, he goes through everything that's happened to society over the course of the last, you know, 500 years, um, back to when we are living in our modern age. And, you know, the, the way that it's presented is, is so typical of the way that we look at history at this point in time. You know, we talk about all these people in the past and how they these things happened and if only they had seen, you know, this very um, uh, revisionist kind of perspective on history. It's a really well-written story. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. And uh, your number one pick who's winning the, winning the uh, prize? Will come after my second place, oh, which sorry, was... Oh, sorry, I thought that was second place. I thought no, that, that was, was third. Uh, second place, I'd say, goes to the Paperless Doctrine of 2152. Aaron, uh, that was well, a great story. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. I, I thought it was wonderful. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been out to Boston, but uh, there used to be a bookstore on Newbury Street called the Victor Hugo, and it's all I could think of when I was reading this is like just skimming these great old books, and it's, it's, the bookstore is not there anymore, which made the story that much more poignant. But you know what? There's something about holding a book in your hand that I just don't get from, you know, a droid or an I, whatever, whatever you call it. You don't use them, so don't even go there. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. I got the same feeling, Aaron. There was this, and I don't know if anybody of our listeners remember the Victor Hugo, but it was this amazing bookstore. It was like two or three levels. It was half the time you thought the books were going to fall in on you if you picked something out. So you were very, very careful when you picked them. They even had two kitties that would run around. <laughs> and if you were lucky, one of them might let you touch them for luck and... Uh, but they lived in the bookstore, and it, the, that's the kind of feeling I got. There's another bookstore right on Boylston Street that's a lot like that, mm. which to get downstairs, you have to go down these rickety old steps to the sub-basement, and I love bookstores like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, have a, we have a bookstore here in uh, Minneapolis kind of, kind of like that. It's called the Wild Rumpus. It's that kid's bookstore, but they have... Uh, <laughs> But, but but they have uh, chickens running around in inside the bookstore <laughs> and uh, a couple of cats and the chickens That's a great feed the cats and uh, uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Chickens. I've been to the Wild Rumpus. It's a great bookstore. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Chickens? Not really. <laughs> oh my god! If I worked there, I'd have to answer the phone. Ain't nobody here but us chickens. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but no, my number one, sorry, Aaron, but uh, my number one has to go to Under Erasure by Murray Letter. As a diehard comic book fan, that, that one spoke to me on so many levels where they start comparing the end of the world to Crisis on Infinite Earths, Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man. I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> that makes perfect sense in the context of this story. Uh, that one just took me completely by surprise and uh, that's my vote for best overall. 
Cool. Yeah. So, so what is the author's name again? Uh, Murray Letter. Murray L-E-E-R. Letter. L-E-E-R. You, you win. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Kriana. Thanks for playing the game on that one. Yeah, that's it. I know. <laughs> we know you're listening to the podcast and you're in shock now. Yeah. Kriana? Yes. What was your pick? I had one pick. Okay. Because I was just horribly depressed by this entire anthology. <laughs> oh. It was good, but really depressing. But there was one story that really stood out the one where there are no men. <laughs> Why would that be? Careful. I Careful. Don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a huge dyke. Um, that could possibly have something to do with it. But the Omega Museum the by Jaletta Craig. Clegg? Jaletta Clegg. I hope I said that right. That was awesome. And you know, it was the only story that I read that was actually kind of hopeful. It was like, yeah, it's kind of the end of humanity, but you're pregnant. <laughs> and you know what she wanted to be pregnant so it was all good wow. you know I, I do find it interesting year old girls everywhere <laughs> <laughs> I do find it interesting that most of the authors uh, from the ones that I've read seem to take the last the end of something the last something as a depressing thing rather than an amazing thing because you know what when I uh, when I get to the you know get home and it's the last hour of the day and I have no, no responsibilities laying on me, that's a fantastic time. <laughs> now, what what about a time when the guy is the last man on earth and he finally has time to sit down and read all the books that he wants and his glasses aren't broken? Uh, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> he found a really good barrel of whiskey. <laughs> or five. That? Well, yeah. listen, I had, uh, I had a tough time with this, and I'll tell you why. Um, unlike Kriana, who is uh, chronically depressed by stories about the end of stuff, uh, I found a lot of hope in a lot of these stories. And the one thing that surprised me, my, my third place uh, story, was where there was a lot of unintended humor. And that was The Last Man on Earth by Big Jim Williams. Uh, yeah, about the drunk cute. coming out of the subway. <laughs> that was fun. And, you know, you, you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and all of a sudden, bang, it hits you and it hits you beautifully. Uh, it was a great, 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 uh, great story. My, my second place story was one of the first ones in the book and it was uh, Teddy and the Last Girl of Brighton Street by William Wood. That was a horrible story. It was not. <laughs> that was terrifying. You have no sense of humor. Uh, no, no, I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're being told you have no sense of humor by someone who played as a zombie. No, I did he not. wasn't a zombie. I was I'm, the zombie. I married a zombie. I'm so, okay. Think, which I think proves I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> there you go. But my, my favorite, uh, for completely different reasons, was Samantha Boyette's Life of a Child. Uh, it was a chilling piece of work, and I just adored it. Was it also I, evocative? It was chilling and evocative. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, chills. Oh, for, my. For 
listening who can't see the show schedule, the dome has written next to the story, I found it chilling and evocative. And I find that highly amusing. Well, <laughs> good for you. You know what? When you can come up with a better concept for it, you let me know. But I got to tell you that I found uh, <clears throat> that Samantha gave voice to that child very nicely. And it was, it was not uh, pleasant to read. It was not fun to read, but it felt very, very real. And uh, I was frankly blown away by her style. I loved her style. Uh, I loved the story that she told, even though it wasn't a particularly pretty story. But uh, I found it really, really cool. And, you know, Java, that's, that's one that you should really take some time with. Absolutely. So I think we've picked three completely different stories for completely different reasons, and it's really yeah, absolutely, awesome. which yeah. is neat. Yeah, and, I mean, even me, who is entirely depressed by the last of everything, I don't want there to ever be a last anything. Um, <laughs> well, except for some things. Okay, I can think of a couple things, but um, I, even I found one that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. It gripped me. It it drew me in. I'm pontificating. God, Dome, what have you done? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Listen to this. <laughs> and, you know, while we're busy, you know, thanking the authors, I also want to uh, thank Hunter for uh, not only, you know, coming on and talking about this book, but giving us a chance to do the pre-read. Yes. And yeah, uh, get our impressions on it, we which I thought it. was incredibly cool of them to do. And, Absolutely. You know, Hunter, I got to tell you, you know, for the last six months, ever since you were on the show last talking about this, I was—I've been waiting for this anthology. Hungrily. And yeah, I—it delivered. That's—that's that's the thing. So many times you'll get an anthology and it's hit or miss. You get a couple of good ones, a couple of bad ones, whatever. It's like those beans and uh, Harry Potter there. But uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this was you know, just above and beyond a great anthology. So I'm really glad, I'm happy for Sword and Saga Press to be putting this out. This is this yeah, is a feather too. in the cap. Me too. Me you too. go, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Rock the fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, Aaron. Uh, I know. <laughs> but our listeners, um, this... We um, will be giving away a copy of this Last Man anthology. So oh, and comment. Is it that time? It is that. Uh, actually, actually, it's far too late. Yeah, let's, anyway. No wins. Who's the winner? And the person who won uh, last week's. And gets the two tickets to Spooky World is typographic content. Woo! Whoever that hey. is. So you can get will an be... email from Dome, and if you send them your, your address very shortly, you will receive And if you're not close enough to be able to use the uh, tickets to Spooky World in New Hampshire, we will send you an alternate prize, but you have indeed been random. So congratulations for that. <laughs> Uh, and yes, anyone who uh, comments on this week's podcast gets a chance to win the Last Man Anthology. When it comes out, right? When, when it, it comes, comes out. out. And for those of you who don't win, we are going to have the link to pre-order it from Amazon right on our website. Woo! Here, here. Woot. 
And at this Aaron. point, Aaron? Yes, I'm still here. I was hoping that we could just kind of impose upon you for a few minutes to read a portion of your story, The Paperless Doctrine of 2152. Sure, I can do that for you. More than happy to. Um, as, I guess picking up uh, just uh, right at the beginning, uh, I think I'll do it. Is that all right? Or did you have a section you That'd wanted be great. to read? Wherever you feel most comfortable, you go for it. All right. All right, well, this is the, the paperless doctrine of 2152. Mr. North felt sadly conflicted as he ducked out of the cold Minneapolis wind into the last bookstore in the global village. Vintage World War IV American propaganda covered the walls. 20-foot shelves and open boxes of books made the, alley, the aisles narrow and almost impassable. Price tags hung from book corners like the beginnings of complex spider webs. A tabby cat curled up in a leather chair peeked out from under a paw. Mr. North sighed, breathing in the musty tang of aged paper and cloth. Not a tall man, but he could reach the top of the shelves without the aid of a ladder. He brushed his fingers uh, across one, shell, one of the shelves, picking up enough dust to make his Mark Twain-style mustache twitch before sneezing. Waste, Mr. North thought. All waste. All of this paper was locked up by the decree of a misguided governor whose great-grandfather had held his first book signing in the basement. Noble, narr noble narratives had been designated as a historic site, a national treasure of sorts, which meant it could exist but not operate. Mr. North tried to understand, but when he looked around the store, all he could see was the misuse of a valuable resource. Before the implementation of the paperless doctrine, number 2152, which outlawed the sale of printed material, he had offered to buy the store from its owner. Like his special interest group had done with hundreds of other bookstores. However, the old man in the Star Tribune visor, circa 2030, had refused. Mr. North moved toward the back aisles through history and social sciences. He turned at photography and took the claustrophobic stairs leading down to the basement. The stairs groaned with each step. The ceiling was much lower in the basement. Mr. North had to watch for eye-level lights as he passed children's picture books and young adult novels. He unfolded his hands from his coat sleeves, and he pushed his hood back, settling into a wooden chair surrounded by boxes upon boxes of faded paperbacks. He picked up one of the books and opened it to the copyright page. Ten. Mr. North remembered not wanting this assignment he remembered waiting outside a large oak door to talk it over with his boss, Daniel Seraph. James, the owner of the bookstore, was a friend and an acquaintance, really. Nevertheless, Mr. North's number had come up. The next assignment, like it or not, was his. He had argued with Miss Seraph, a direct descendant of Gilbert Seraph, the famous architect who had designed the paperless society. What's the harm, he had said. It's the last one. Mr. North took the black briefcase off the table and divided that, 
and placed it gently on the floor. It will die in time. Miss Seraph shook her head and removed her watch from her wrist. She looked at it before setting it down on the table. Time. All things come back into fashion. Watches, she snorted, and smoking tobacco, for example, banned in the early 21st century, only to return like a plague a hundred years later. She frowned. Do I need to find someone else? No. He pulled his hood up his hood, preparing to go out into the cold. Good. Remember what this victory will have finally fulfilled Gilbert's dream. She smiled. Do I need to remind you that every book downloaded earns ad revenue and that we have a 96% market share in those suggestive ads? Mr. North watched from inside his hood as she picked up a reader from her desk. She tapped it a few times before turning it around. It displayed a simple red line that started at the bottom left corner and arced towards the upper right-hand corner. We cannot afford to let even one opportunity slip our fingers, Miss Sarah stood up. Now do your job. Gingerly, North wrapped his fingers around the handle of his briefcase before easing the door to her office closed. Mr. North looked around the bookstore. It was empty of people. So much worry over such a useless and outdated medium. Why would anyone want to read this way? It was so slow. Plus, there were the new laws, like PD 2152. Reading from bound paper books was a thing of the past. I think I'll stop there. If you want to read the rest, pick up the book. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. All right, Aaron, can we uh, take a moment to plug your website, soullessmachine.com? And do you have anything else coming out in the near future? Uh, well, I just finished uh, participating in uh, um, a, a group called Tuesday Serial, where I serial, uh, I serial excuse me, uh, I serialized uh, a story of mine called The Bike Mechanic. And hopefully in the next uh, three to four months, I'll have a, a collection of stories that includes The Bike Mechanic and then the previous lives of Inez Wick. Inez Wick is one of the characters in The Bike Mechanic uh, who ends up dying. But then uh, there are other stories that I've written about her. Inez Wick is a, uh, what I would call an environmental terrorist. She goes around and blows up um, paper mills and water factories, kind of in the style of Edward Abbey's uh, Hey Duke and Gang. <laughs> Okay, and they can see nice. updates of, of what it is that you're doing on your website? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, what was that? And they can see updates of uh, things that are coming out and new projects that you're doing on your website, soullessmachine.com? Yep, that, that's where I'll post all of my updates. Um, I do have one story coming out uh, hopefully this weekend in another anthology called Sci-Fi Scapes Twin Cities Volume 1. Uh, published by uh, another press, uh, um, and that should be coming out uh, hopefully this weekend. The story is called "What's for Dinner," in again oh. another post-apocalyptic world. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, is it the last bucket of chicken? <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you sitting in for Hunter tonight and for getting a chance to, to share your story with our listening audience. 
Yeah, I miss Hunter. Well, this it, has been really it was a pleasure. Cool. Thank you. Yo, X. The pleasure was all ours. Yes. Guess what time it is. <clears throat> it is time for the coming of calendar. Woohoo! Woo okay, folks. Next week, we celebrate Halloween with sci-fi and... <laughs> we celebrate Halloween. excited. Yes, you do. <laughs> we celebrate Halloween with sci-fi and horror author C.J. Henderson. Woohoo! <laughs> and on November 6th, we give a sneak peek at the guest list for Boston Comic Con 2011. Even more cool. Yay. I love it. November 13th, Dave Sanders and John Tallarico of RunawayCreations.com plug their latest game, Attraction. And on Which November you can pick up on iTunes right now. There's a light version for free, so go, go ah. pick it up. You got a website to plug it? Uh, Attraction.com or runner, RunawayCreations.com. Um, but the light version is on iTunes. It's spelled A-T-T-R-A-X-I-O-N. There we go. Then on November 20th, Thomas Gofton of Sin Studios gives an exclusive look at the new web series, Mind's Eye. Which and looks on, awesome. Yes, it does. And on December 4th, Anne Zabla guides us through the historical fantasy epic webcomic series, Chaldean. I hope I pronounced that right. Are you kidding? Son we're we're on into December? We're into December. Good lord. I like this. Oh, absolutely. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic book artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by Zanoise. Pick up CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. No. <laughs> I want to thank our guest tonight, author Aaron Wilson, contributing author to The Last Man Anthology, and special guest Andrew Marnick from Brown Coats Redemption. From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, thank you. I know. <laughs> Great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. Love everybody. Kiss, kiss. Mount Post Gallifrey, our crop circle investigator, Awake by Java. I'm off to the first Halloween party of the season. Woohoo! This is the dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. Ha, 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 ha.